This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to our second podcast. And this one is Vocal Coach versus Singing Teacher. I feel a little bit of competitiveness coming on here. Absolutely not. I'm Jeremy Fisher and I'm the vocal coach. And I'm Gillian Case and I'm the singing teacher. Okay, so fight. Um, (laughs) What do you think is the difference? Oh, wow. You put me on the spot there. Straight away. I know uh, one thing I certainly feel as a singing teacher is that the level of musical ability, please don't shoot me, other singing teachers, I think of uh, a vocal coach, certainly the kind of vocal performance coach that Jeremy is, having um, a very deep as well as broad sense of musicianship and a sort of an overview of performance. Whereas what we singing teachers tend to focus on is the voice, the body, and tailoring that to the individual singer, the client, the client in the room, the student in the room, as we say. I'm aware that other singing teachers might not have that perspective, but it's certainly the one that I have working collaboratively with Jeremy. Mm. Okay, ask me the same question. (laughs) I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. Blimey. Yeah, ask me the same one. What do you see as being the difference between a vocal coach and a singing teacher? It's actually quite interesting because it's very similar to what you said. Um, the thing for me, and I'm, I'm going to go straight to the same point that you did, which is musicianship. The vocal coach usually, and we, we're talking generalities here, but I'm going to go with the genera- generality. Um, the vocal coach is normally an instrumentalist first. So they will have been playing instruments since usually a very young age, which means they have a experience of music that is not necessarily vocal. So you have a, a, an experience of instrumental music, which means that you learn music in a slightly different way. And we may break that down slightly later in this podcast. Um, whereas the singing teacher has the experience, whether they've been instrumentalists or not, they have the experience of voice. And producing music with a voice, I think, is a very different animal from producing music with an instrument, partly because you can't take your voice to the shop and replace it for a better one. You actually can, you've got the one you've got. Whereas I went through three oboes when I was at uh, music college and um, I've played thousands of pianos. So I'm constantly working with whatever instrument is in front of me. I think that's a very good point about each individual singer's voice being an individual instrument Mm. and that that's what we're uh, working to develop and get the best out of as singing teachers. I think the lines get get quite blurred, actually, because we're talking black and white, really. We're talking the vocal coach um, doing the sort of performance and music coaching and the singing teacher doing vocal technique. And those lines do get blurred. And funnily enough, it depends on what the employer is almost. Do you know, I mean, with your description, you're saying that as a vocal coach, you're an instrumentalist first. In other words, your first instrument is less likely to be voiced. Yes. As my first instrument was. I played three instruments. I played piano and violin as well as voice, but voice was always my first. Mm. So that means that in a sense, you're not a singer 
Yeah, I'd go with that. Yeah, and um, maybe that's that's a slightly weird thing. Why do you think that gives you, as a vocal coach, a different perspective from me as a singing teacher? Oh, completely superior. Well, aside from that, <laughs> um, it it is to do with it really is to do with music and how music works. Um, and I, in a way, I can only speak for myself which is I had, by the time I started coaching singers, and I was 19, I think, when I first started at music college, and I had already been playing an instrument for 12 years, uh, 13 years. Um, And therefore, I had a take on music, and this was classical music at the time. I had a take on music, and um, my story is, and this is absolutely true, I started coaching singers out of desperation, because I couldn't believe that they could make the same mistakes over and over again, or that they didn't understand how a phrase worked, or that they didn't understand how words fitted together. Um, So I genuinely, you know, one day went, oh, for heaven's sake, it goes like this. And the singer went, oh, that's really good. Thank you. Um, And I thought, oh, good. There's a there's a job in insulting people. That's quite good. I hasten to say that I was not one of those singers. At least I don't think I was one of those singers. In a way, you're taking me to a place that I wasn't expecting to go, but let's go there anyway. It reminds me of when I first started singing uh, as a professional chorister. And I was very surprised to get this sort of vibe coming from the organists and the instrumentalists that we singers were a bit dim, that we were a bit thick, that we actually weren't good musicians. It was really quite an interesting vibe that used to come across. Mm. And I don't think that's what you mean, because I think what you're talking about is there's a way in which the singer is an instrumentalist with the whole body Mm. and their psyche that I think is different from an instrumentalist who doesn't use words. Maybe it's words as part of the medium of song that is one of the big differentiators because I don't want mm. to say that a singer isn't an instrumentalist because we are are instrumentalists. We happen to be playing the instrument of our body. Mm. Are we digging ourselves a hole here? No, I don't think so. I think it's a really interesting one. This is It's like a combination. First of all, you've got words, so you have um, a very direct means of communication that instrumentalists don't have. And secondly, you are creating the sound inside. There is no real sense of creating a sound outside yourself. The sound is created inside and released, if you like. So in any instrument at all, you are creating a sound outside yourself. And I think that's really vital. And it also says to me why singers need to feel and experience certain things and um, you know they need to they need to know what the sound feels like or what, as well as what it sounds like um, and it's a very visceral sense and interestingly I I also know that that rumor that singers are stupid and I don't think it is I think it's to do with the visceral experience we are so going to get kickback for this <laughs> yeah I think you're right. So it's the viscerality, is that a word? It is the viscerality of it. And that's what we respond to when we hear a singer sing. And it's that that individuality as well that we respond to. Love that. Okay. Whoa. So where do you want to go next? So we're still, we're still sort of on, on vocal coach versus singing teacher and what are they? And, and it's interesting because we've worked collaboratively for more than 20 years. It's 24. 
24 years, 25 something years, something like, like that. that. 24 years. Um, we uh, bits of we've we've rubbed off on each other, which sounds terrible thing to say, but we it basically we've picked up certain skills from each other, and so um, I still think of myself as a vocal coach who has a very profound knowledge of vocal technique, but my my outlook is still as the overview, the the performance element, the music element, the putting it into context element. I still don't think of myself as a singing teacher, mm. whereas you do. Do you know, I think we might find it easier to define the difference if we talk more about what we do in our sessions. Sure. For example, you've told me that you don't do warm-ups in your sessions. Um, I am going to go, this is slightly odd, but I'm going to jump straight into AMA, Ask Me Anything, because we actually did get a question on this okay. in, in the tin. So can we just um, mm -hmm. hang on? Um, we're actually putting this on video on YouTube, and I am not joking. Here is the tin. So uh, if you can't, if you're listening on the podcast, have a quick glance onto YouTube at around this point, and uh, you'll see it's a beautiful uh, Christmas biscuit tin. That's our AMA. It gives tin. me a happy, a happy moment every time it plays. Uh, and we had, um, we did have a question in here that I, I because I, I put it in because I knew what the topic was today. And the question is, uh, a typical 40-minute lesson, the usual structure, how long do you usually spend on the warm-up and how quickly progress into the song? This is such a great question because you and I will have different answers. Did that come from one of our It came from courses. one of our training courses, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, somebody it's anonymous, I can't tell you who it was because they just people just plonk the questions in the tin and we answer them normally at the end of each day. And I kept that one because I thought it was rather good. Mm -hmm. Okay, do you want me to start? Yeah. So thinking about a typical forty minute lesson, I mean in a sense there there's there's no typical because each singer is individual and, and what they bring with them is individual. I'll say from my point of view about the generic things, first of all, finding out what the singer wants to do, what they want to achieve from that lesson. How do you do that? I ask them. <laughs> <laughs> Duh. I was just thinking there was some sort of psychic osmosis. Now, bear in mind that I work with adults and it's a long time since I've worked with children and that is a slightly different situation when you're working with children or if you're working in an educational context where you, the teacher and the student have certain targets. But even so, you would review with that student what it was that they needed to achieve in that lesson. Mm. Because what you're doing there is you're, you're, you're laying the groundwork for the, the 40 minutes and it doesn't matter if five minutes of that time is taken up with laying that groundwork mm. because that's you and your student getting into the zone, if you like, for what the lesson is about. Dependent on whether they'd sung that day, you know, I might just do a five minute warm up or it could end up being an eight minute warm up. Now, warm ups are sort of customized to the singer, but they will contain typical things for instance, airflow and breath work, looking at uh, breath and voice so that you're, you're taking the, the flow of the breath into the voicing, exploring the ease of moving across the range, mm. maybe a little bit of dy dynamic work. In other words, changing volume, playing around with resonance shapes 
And then I would typically take some phrases from songs that the singer's going to sing or that the singer knows so that they begin to use words and play around with those phrases, taking them up a semitone, down a semitone and so forth. So that's what a warm up would be. Now, let's assume that the student has brought a song and wants to do some work on that song, because I certainly give lessons where a client will come in and say, I only want to work on technique today, in which case the initial phase of the lesson, the chat, will probably be longer because I will be finding out what it is that they want to develop. Mm. And I may then be structuring the warm up around that as well. I keep notes, by the way, I have a physical notebook and I will write those notes down as the client is speaking. That's partly because that's one of the ways that I process. Mm. I like to write things down. I make lists. I could show you the list for today, which I haven't even started <laughs> because uh, Jeremy took me off in another direction. <laughs> that was deliberate, wasn't it? No, not at all. Uh, so I might then look at the phrases from the songs. I might look at the pitch range of the song or some challenging part of the song and devise some exercises around that particular challenge. So we might do some technique exercises. These are different from warm-ups. These are technical develop ex development exercises. We actually do a webinar on this. It's webinar three called What's in a Warm-Up? Mm. And where we identify what actually is a warm-up and what is a skill-based exercise. Mm. And we see the two as being different. I think what often happens is that singing teachers deliver you know, the whole raft of exercises that they do or that they learn from their singing teacher. And then you have 30 minutes of the lesson. And trust me, I have heard lessons like this, which are devoted to vocal eases. Mm. And you think, um, for well, the, for those of you who don't, who why? don't know what a vocal ease is, imagine a melody sung to R. And it could be anything classical. It could possibly be something contemporary, possibly a pop uh, number. There are very few uh, contemporary numbers. Um, Great Gig in the Sky is the only one that I can think of right now that doesn't actually have any words in it. It has six or seven versions of R. So you're moving up in semitones all the way through the top of the range, and then you're moving down in semitones all the way to the bottom of the range mm -hmm. with each exercise. <laughs> and I know my reaction is... WTF, why would you do that? What purpose does it have? And I think it's important to know what that purpose is. Yeah. Uh, if you're only yeah. listening. Yeah, let us know. There's been a double <laughs> eye roll here. <laughs> yeah, if you know what the purpose of those are, please do let us know. So I've slightly lost my thread. I'm talking about doing technical development exercises. Yeah. And then moving in maybe straight to that part of the song and, and say, right, let's try that out in the song. And then trying out the whole song and then reviewing, recapping, making sure that at the end of the 40-minute lesson, the client knows why they did what they did, what it is that they need to practice, and that they have a sense of arrival and a sense of success. And I think that's very important. Mm. I think that's probably enough for now about what might be a 40-minute lesson. I've got more to say about what I might think of as lesson targets later on. Okay, my but turn. should that arise? My turn. Okay. 
Um, I have two questions the moment anyone walks in. And before I start this, I'm going to say I work with professionals almost exclusively. So usually I am doing audition coaching or brushing up or occasionally I will do slightly longer term training. But I do a lot of one off hits because people go, I have an audition tomorrow. Um, But if I am, even if I'm working with the, the longer term people, I have two questions when they walk in. Would you like a warm up? And what are we singing today? Because there is no point in doing a warm-up and unless I know what the genre is, what the piece is, what its demands are, and I will tailor the warm-up absolutely specifically to the piece. And if we're doing two entirely different pieces, I will do a warm-up, very short warm-up possibly, in two sections where I go, let's target this one and let's target that one. So the warm-ups are very, very specific, and I will do three minutes, maybe four minutes. I won't do any more than that because I don't see the point. Um, and obviously I'm not going, right, you've had your three minutes, you are now warmed up. I'm listening to what's going on. Uh, but very much because I know what I'm targeting, usually three minutes is enough. And then I will get people to usually sing the entire song or a large chunk of it, because this is about context. I need to know where that person is that day with that song. Um, quite often people will come in and go, that phrase is really bugging me in this song. And I'm going, great. Okay, good. We'll do that phrase, but give me a run into it. Let's sing 32 bars before that phrase, because I need to find out what you're doing before to set yourself up for why it's not working. Mm-hmm. Um, so how long do I usually spend on the warm up? Three to four minutes. How quickly do I progress into the song? Immediately because that gives me a very strong context for working. And then we can talk about what somebody needs to do, what they want to do, and then start diagnosing what the problem is. So, and I've written a lot of articles on this. And in fact, the the new book, Why Do We Need a Vocal Coach, is um, got something like 40 lessons that I break down in there, working with a lot of different people. I've got something to say here, because I think it might help elucidate the difference between the vocal coach and the singing teacher. If I tell you why, I would refer a client to Jeremy. Mm. Sometimes you're working on uh, an aspect of vocal technique with a client and you can get a bit stuck. And sometimes the reason why you get stuck is a performance issue Mm. rather than a technical development issue. And that might be a time when I would say, do you know what? I think that you might resolve this by working on the performance side of the song Mm. uh, with Jeremy and I'll refer them across for a couple of sessions. Another time when I might refer a client to Jeremy is if they bring a fiendish song like Most Sondheim or Jason Robert Brown, Brown. and they are getting ready to put the song on its feet for performance. They need to do the song with the real accompaniment. You know, I can vamp, I can kind of work my way through almost anything, but it will not be what uh, the the client or the student is going to hear in performance. And they need to do that Mm. because it's a collaborative thing between the singer and the, the pianist or the singer and the orchestra. It's not just you, the voice. Duetting with a stranger Mm -hmm. in auditions. You know, you go in and you sing your song, working with somebody that you've never met, usually playing something quite difficult. So I've Mm. done, I mean, when we wrote successful singing auditions, I had at that point done eight and a half thousand auditions in the West End. So I knew what I was talking about. 
Um, and actually thinking about referring the other way, uh, there are clients that I go, Gillian does this so much better, so much faster than I do. Go and have a couple of sessions with her because she will nail that technique in a way that I can't. Mm. Um, and one of my, um, one of my most, so the thing that I do the most, I think, when I'm, when I'm referring to you is working with women, particularly, who are exploring taking a modal or a chest voice higher. Mm. That seems to be the thing. I mean, I know you're extremely good at that. And that seems to be the thing. Sometimes I can do it. Sometimes I just go, you're wasting your money with me for this particular thing. Go to Gillian. She will nail it and then come back and we'll work it. I am the comfortable, easy chest voice queen. <laughs> yeah. So it is interesting that, uh, you know, even though I know a lot of technique, there are things that I just go, Gillian has this nailed and why not go? Mm, so we're mm. very comfortable swapping clients. And in fact, what's also interesting is that we often have clients who prefer one of our energy. So I am the slightly more upbeat slightly higher, left field higher, person. higher energy, uh, just pull things out of left field type person. Mm. And Gillian is a more methodical, slightly calmer, slightly cooler. I think that's fair. I think that's absolutely fair. And I'm very happy with those um, <laughs> monikers. Is that the right <laughs> yeah, word? Yeah. Monica will do. They yeah. can be my monikers. Bless her. Yeah. So um, the other thing that I, would, I did want to touch on is actually, I mentioned it earlier about what the job in the industry is. And I think industries, we, um, I wrote an article on the difference between the vocal coach and the singing teacher, which I think is still on the, on the Vocal Process website. We'll put it in the show notes mm. at the end. Um, the, there are certain industries that prefer one to the other. If you are a classical singer and you're singing opera or a, um, a concert, you will have a singing teacher very definitely who does technique and you will normally have an accompanist or a vocal coach or a repetiteur mm. who will work the music and the performance with you and it's very clearly delineated. Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually because we come from that th that background. I mean, I worked as an opera repetiteur with three opera companies when I was in my 20s. So I know that background very well. Um, whereas you go into the contemporary world and in the pop world in particular, pop and the recording studio, normally what people are having is a vocal coach who will do some vocal technique, but will also discuss a presentation, possibly even clothing and the look of what you're doing mm. and the whole vibe of what you're doing. And you're much less likely to have a singing teacher there. And don't you think that a lot of that develop, you know, performance development stuff probably happens in the studio so that the, mm. you know, the artist development is actually happening at that end mm. rather than in the the one-to-one -one singing lesson? Because, you know, there are lots of CCM singers, contemporary commercial music singers who do have singing lessons. They're more likely to go for singing lessons when they hit a, a vocal difficulty. I was going to say, yeah, when they start to hit difficulties and they go, I need to, that's normally when the singing lessons mm. start. Because in a way, I think in the CCM genre, there's still very much the feeling that you don't want to sound too trained, too yep. schooled. Yep. Uh, it needs to feel that um, it's very much an individual voice. Yeah. Ooh, um, okay. I would like to go somewhere else and talk about 
One of the things that a singing teacher is responsible for, which is vocal development. Yes. We've talked about a bit. I know. And this is the other, for me, this is the other big difference between a vocal coach and a singing teacher. Mm, mm. Go. Well, it's that sense of developing the instrument. And this is where the idea of technique comes in, technical development. Um, And in a way, one size doesn't fit all. And as you get to know us, you will hear that phrase said over, over and, over and over again. again. So the kind of technique that you need to develop d- depends very much on the level of the singer, the age of the singer, the genre that they're singing in. So it's all about context. Maybe they have an exam focus and there will be certain technical skills they have to demonstrate that they can do. Maybe they're working in an educational context and there are certain boxes that have to be ticked there. So all of those factors need to be taken into account. Broadly speaking, if we're talking about vocal development, we're talking about developing appropriate tone, Mm -hmm. um, timbre, Mm. use of dynamic, Mm. um, how the singer uses words, Mm. I think is an important part of vocal development. Whether the singer can negotiate the um, the melodic patterns, the vocal range that they need to be singing. So kind of very broad sweeps are what we need to be looking at. I mean, I'm just thinking about, we, we talk about the four elements of music, the four basic elements. You're looking mm-hmm. at me, what am I going to come out I, with? I, go on. Which are Shoot. melody, yep. duration, which is rhythm. Yep. Uh, volume or dynamic and timbre. Those are the four things we need to look at with music. Plus, singers have words. Plus, singers have bodies, by the way, and sing with those bodies. And uh, there's a whole um, voice-body-mind connection that a singing teacher may have to address, even if it's done intuitively and subliminally. And where those four things come in really, they start to get really interesting is when you start swapping genres. Mm. Because the whole way that you deal with all of those four changes if you're swapping genres. So just off the top of my head, if you are a classical singer, the goal is even sound, that the sound matches as much as you can. Mm. Dynamics are graded. So you don't get massively huge changes in dynamics, you get gradings. Uh, word use, um, in classical singing, word use is less important than sound quality. And I will arm wrestle anybody who disagrees with that. Um, and what was the fourth one? Duration. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. If you're singing 19th century opera, you take a large breath and you hold everything for as long as you can because phrases are huge. You know, 18th mm. century, 19th century, mm. even 20th century. Um, phrases are very long on the whole. It's also about rhythmic patterns. Yep. Oh, yes. Yes. Um, uh, I'm throw, throwing out a challenge to you. Name me an opera singer who sings in rhythm, because I've never worked with one. There's a lot of give and take. There's a lot of rubato in um, in singing, uh, particularly if you think uh, in order to sing in rhythm, the vowel needs to land on the beat. It often doesn't. Oh, whoa. I can see a whole <laughs> a whole podcast there. That's very interesting. We could maybe one time talk about the written score 
Oh yeah, and how the written score is um, lifted off the page as it's a my singer, thing. because it is something. To be fair, that instrumentalists often do not understand, yep. because singers need to breathe and singers need to articulate words. And yes, I know if you're a wind player, you need to breathe, but you haven't got yeah. to articulate consonant clusters. You don't have to articulate str before you even get onto the vowel. Yeah. Quite. Um, so that was the classical thing. If you if you go to musical theatre, the, the emphasis becomes much more on the words and the story, the moment-by-moment moment story. Mm. In classical singing, you don't tend to do so much instant-by-instant instant story. You tend to do... Um, oh God, Broad gonna, sweeps. Thank you. I was going to get into very dodgy territory there. Broad sweeps is good. Um, but when you worked with an RSC actor singing something, you know that they are second by second everything. They know exactly what they're doing. Mm. Um, and then when you get into contemporary commercial, and there are 700 commercial, contemporary commercial genres. Don't ask me, you're um, the one who did that fact-looking up. I did the article fact-looking um, on one of the, the websites, and there are so many subgenres. There are something like 60 subgenres of rock. So lots and lots of genres. When you get into that, it's more about feel. Feel, vibe, colour, emotion. Um, and funnily enough, although it may not be moment-by-moment moment emotion, it's day-to-day real-life emotion. Also, it's rhythm- rhythmically driven. Rhythmically driven, I think you'll find. Yeah, it is rhythmically driven. Um, virtually whatever CCM genre you're in has a rhythm, a very strong rhythm pattern mm. behind mm. it. So, Yes. Um, and so all of those musical things change depending on genre. And that's without really even talking about sound. Mm. That's just the way that you deliver. Mm. And uh, very interesting, we did have um, had a comment come in a couple of days ago um, about somebody saying, why can't I... I'm a classical singer. Why do I sound like a classical singer when I belt? And it's like, it might not be the sound. It actually might be the way you're moving your voice. And there's a whole other podcast on that one as well. Mm. Mm. I just want to say something about being a singing teacher and teaching song, because even if you are lucky enough to have a Jeremy in your life that you can refer people on to, it is pretty well mandatory, I would say, that you will be teaching song. And if you are teaching song, you are going to be dealing with those musical elements I talked about. And dependent on the level of your client or student, you're going to be possibly teaching melody, rhythm and pitch. Mm. And you're going to be developing their musical uh, abilities. Yep. A little pause there because our screen went blank and I was hoping we didn't have a power cut because we did have a power cut earlier today. No, we're good. No. Okay, that's good. So you're going to be developing their musical abilities to an extent and also awakening their musicality. And for me, musicality is very different from musicianship. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, just going back to your point about vocal development, it's one of the things that I feel I don't do in the same way as a singing teacher. Mm-hmm. Because for me, one of the things that a singing teacher does is ongoing, so it's building. 
I think of myself more, I mean, obviously I do work with um, the one-offs or the, the short-term people, but I'm doing troubleshooting a lot. And what I don't tend to do that much is the ongoing building of technique. I tend to say, this is how it works, do that. Right. So what you're saying is the timeline is different. And I absolutely Very. agree with that. Yeah. So that as um, a singing teacher, and I'm mostly working with professionals now, when a new client comes to me, we will set goals. Yeah. And uh, we, those goals are reviewed every so often and that you're working on a timeline to meet those goals so that you can give the client what they need. I think we're, we're just about done. We are just about done. I'd just like to say something about how my life as a singing teacher has changed. Is that all right? Oh, absolutely. I think it's really important that as a singing teacher, you do professional development uh, and that you review what you're doing every few years so that you can refresh because we're giving out all the time, aren't we? One of the things that's changed in my teaching life is that I'm now doing a lot more work with people who have had voice problems. Uh, very early on, actually, in my teaching life, I encountered some students at one of the drama schools where I was working who had um, voice pathologies and they had to be referred to ENT. And it was very interesting uh, learning about what that journey was for them and also collaborating with the ENT and the um, speech and language therapists on getting those singers back on track. And it's something I do a lot of now. I get quite a lot of referrals and I, I love it. I absolutely love helping a singer to move forward from having had one of those vocal challenges. And the other thing I've started doing, and this is really quite recent, is something that uh, an American colleague of mine, um, Kate Frazier-Neely, calls collegial consult. And I love that. Uh, so forgive me, Kate, for pinching that term. Uh, this is where um, a teacher who's got a little bit stuck with their own student brings their student to you and you teach the student in front of that teacher and you have that dialogue between uh, the three of you. And that can be really, really powerful. Now, I love doing that. You've done it as well, I haven't you, yes. recently? Yeah. Yes. And that's a wonderful way, actually, for you as a singing teacher to move yourself on to get some technical development because you're working directly with your practice. I think it also because of the work that we do, which is so supportive of the people in the room, we never, I think, make the, the teachers who are with us feel like they are less than or they know less. Oh, it's not about it's that. It's not about that. It's actually about having a new set of eyes, a new set of skilled eyes and ears, actually, on the person that you're working with. Because sometimes it's very easy. I mean, we do it ourselves. The person that you are working with, you go, oh, I love that, you know, what you're doing, that's really quirky. And then somebody else comes along and goes, hmm, that's not really quirky. That's just not working. Uh, and it's sometimes very good to have somebody else look and hear, look at and hear your students mm. and then discuss. Mm. Okay. Um, I just want to say a quick shout out for our sponsor, which is Canny Publishing. Canny spelled C-A-N-U. Canny is the Welsh word that means to speak, to utter, 
to create poetry, to sing, to proselytize. It has all sorts of meanings. Um, and Kenny Publishing is the uh, publishing arm of Vocal Process. And so far we have three books, including this one. And it's the reason that I mention it. This is um, Why Do I Need a Vocal Coach? Stories, Tips and Hacks from the Studio of a Voice Expert. And this is my latest book. It's only about three months old, I think, and is now out in paperback, ebook, and the audiobook has just come out. So very, very proud of that. So thank you to Kenny Publishing for sponsoring us for this. Mm. So uh, we have a whole load of podcasts lined up for you. We'll get on with the next one and we'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher.